Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. Good afternoon, and the most high in the name of Christ bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. We give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, the Holy Trinity. And um, like most people, you may have heard this term, phrase used, at least in passing, or you might have actually, like some people, you might have delved in quite a bit to try to gain an understanding, and you, many of us, are still confused. So uh, we want to try to bring some clarity uh, to what the Holy Trinity really means, um, what the main tenets, what are the main components of the Holy Trinity, and we're going to talk about where all this came from. And we're going, of course, as usual, we're always going to delve into the scriptures to bring out the true clarification of exactly what the Holy Trinity is. Joining me here today in the virtual living room to discuss this topic, I have first off with us our brother Kabar. Yes. Shalom, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you once again for another Blog Talk radio show, giving all honors and praise as always to the Most High in the name of Christ for all things and everything. Good to be with you. Uh, welcome, brother. And also joining us here, we have our brother Kazakia. First and foremost, giving all praises to the Heavenly Father and His Son, Christ. Definitely good to be back with our listening audience. Definitely good to be back with y'all, brothers, and look forward to delving into this topic in the Scriptures. All right. Well, well brothers, uh, you know, I, I know you have uh, done a little research on the Holy Trinity and probably heard about this first uh, probably decades ago. Um but for those people that might be kind of new to it, I think uh, it's good to give them uh, a decent amount of background information. And uh, the Catholic Church appears to be one of the institutions that uh, where this notion or phrase for the Holy Trinity is used most of all. I mean, it's in symbolism and other things. So uh, I found a clip on YouTube uh, that was produced by the Catholic Church that actually spoke to what the Holy Trinity is. So I'm going to play that clip uh, for the audience. The dogma of the Holy Trinity recognizes the very identity of God revealed by Jesus Christ and is the central mystery of the Catholic faith. The revealed mystery of the Holy Trinity teaches us that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Nevertheless, there are not three gods but just one, the Most Holy Trinity. During the first centuries of Christianity, the Church more explicitly formulated her faith in the one and triune God, both to deepen the faith and to defend it from error. This truth of the faith was not created, but was rather made explicit at the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople in the fourth century, with the help of the theological works of the fathers of the Church. The first Sunday after Pentecost, the Church celebrates the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity because the purpose of the mysteries of Christ's life 
from his ascension to the coming of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to the knowledge of the one and triune God and to offer God our devotion. All right, brothers, uh, you heard that part. Uh, essentially, uh, what he's saying is that the Holy Trinity is uh, one God, but uh, is composed of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, that I've heard uh, uh, a number of times throughout my life. I mean, over the decades, I've heard it plenty. Um, so, Kazaki, I think you have found an article that brings out even more information or maybe a bit more clarity on what the Holy Trinity is. Right. Um, this, this piece of information comes from the website DesiringGod.org, and it states, the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to the Christian faith. It is crucial for properly understanding what God is like, how he relates to us, and how we should relate to him. But it also raises many difficult questions. How can God be both one and three? Is the Trinity a contradiction? If Jesus is God, why do the gospel record instances where he prayed to God? While we cannot fully understand everything about the Trinity or anything else, it is possible to answer questions like these and come to a solid grasp of what it means for God to be three in one. Now, the reason why I really wanted to read that part of the article is because of the fact that two key words are utilized twice in explaining or at least attempting to explain the Trinity. And that mm-hmm. key word that I'm referring to is doctrine. First and foremost, brothers and sisters, please you know, please understand, when we look in the scriptures, there is no mention of the word trinity. There is none. So this now, that's concept, a surprise to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That yeah, is a surprise to a lot of people, I'm sure. Yes, sir. It is. It is. And this concept that we're speaking about is a doctrine that is man-made. Hmm. I'll say it again. This concept that we're talking about is something that is man-made. This doctrine is man-made. And what, what it serves to do, if we're not careful, is it serves as a distraction from us really taking the initiative to open the Bible and read and study for ourselves and not just read and study, apply. And when we apply the word of God, that's when we begin to get understanding, true understanding into God, his nature, and what it means to serve him and his expectations for us as his people. Go ahead, brother. All right. Um, well, thank you for that, Kazakia. Uh, so, the things we want to cover here are the main tenets, which we're, we're bringing out the information now, uh, and then we're going to get into the origin, and then, of course, we're going to uh, talk about exactly what the scriptures has to say about a trinity. Uh, so uh, any, any more information on the main tenets, brothers, the primary components of the holy trinity? Okay. So, uh, Kabar, if you would... Bring us some information on the origin. Where did this all start? Well, you know, as you read, excuse me, as the brother alluded to in the article, but 
as it was spoken about in the YouTube explaining the Trinity from the Catholic Church. This is from them. Just, you know, I wrote down a few things. They speak about um, the dogma of the Holy Trinity, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main things that they mention is about, you know, for clarity's sake, uh, God, this is how the Trinity is explained. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Uh, they are not, but they say they are not three gods, but one God. And they call it, the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church calls it the most holy trinity, okay? And they call it the one in triune God, triune meaning three, three and one. Uh, Now, they also mention that this was made, they say it wasn't created, but made explicit, okay, at the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople in 400 A.D. So understand, remember the church, (laughs) the church had already begun pretty much 400 years earlier, okay, when Christ came, set down a doctrine and everything. Now, this whole Trinity doctrine came 400 years after that. You understand? Okay, so, but now you said yeah, something okay. interesting just a moment ago. Uh, you said that it, they say that it wasn't created then, but it was made explicit then. What does that mean? So, so what they're trying to say is the attempt it's saying they made it explicit, meaning this isn't something that they claimed that man made up, but rather they looked into the scriptures and, and, and was made, this was revealed in scripture, right? This basically okay. when they say this, it was made explicit, meaning it was revealed in scripture, the true nature of God, so on and so forth, okay? And gotcha. it, was, it was basically codified in in and made uh, official at this Nicene and Constantinople councils that they was having in 400 AD. Now, understand, we don't have the exact birthday of Christ, so on and so forth, but we know the, the church in the, in the, in the uh, main doctrines of Christ, according, according to as he laid it down, were already set in 33 AD. So you're talking about at a bare minimum, the, everything was already settled on what the doctrine was, Okay, um, and the scriptures had already been written, published. You're talking about in 33 AD, and so you're talking about another uh, 350, 60 years later that you come up mm-hmm. with this doctrine of the Trinity. You understand? Okay. Gotcha. So that's one thing. So it, now understand how this came about was it was through the help of the theological works of the church fathers. You understand? So. This what they call the church fathers, Jerome, and some of the other ones that you will, you read about and encounter, and maybe like uh, two and three hundred A.D. Okay, this is this is where that that's coming from. Another thing that they mentioned in that in that clip, just make, you know, making it more explicit for the listening audience, was that they said the first Sunday after Pentecost, the Catholic Church. They said the church, but more explicitly, the Catholic Church celebrates the feast of the Most Holy Trinity. Now, the funny thing is, or the most, the interesting thing is, mm-hmm. when you listen throughout the entire clip, or when you read or whatever, they never actually refer to any scripture. They never actually say because they said it was made explicit, meaning this is revealed in scripture to them, but they never tell you where and what. Now uh. you have others, <laughs> exactly. You have others who may attempt to point to certain scriptures and 
you know, I can I can definitely point to one that they use to rest, meaning pervert and say there's a trinity there. But you know what? One of the weird things that I've noticed in all of the explanations about the trinity is you always get around to this thing where basically you're told by the people trying to explain the trinity that we don't understand everything, and basically you just have to believe it. Just believe what we're telling you at the, at the end of the day is, is, is what's being said. And that's actually what's said in this, this clip. You know, we don't understand everything. This is what, you know, was revealed, so on and so forth. But where is that in the scriptures? And that's the main thing we want to get to. So understand this Trinity doctrine, it happened hundreds of years later after the doctrine of Christ was already set down. And it was never, there was never to be any Trinity when you look through the Old Testament and when Christ set down the doctrines of the New Testament. And it was already sealed and set forth when you look into the book of Galatians. The doctrine had already been preached. Okay, now you have something coming along 350, 60 years later, 350, 60, 350 or 60 years later about a doctrine called the Trinity that never existed before then. That's the problem. Okay, so as far as this origin is concerned, what I'm understanding is that this all started as far as the phrase of the Holy Trinity at about three or 400 A.D. Is there yeah. anything, uh, brothers, that uh, may have not been called the Holy Trinity, but was the exact same thing that predated that time? Not well, that I'm aware of. Okay. Not that I'm aware of as well, but it, 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 it does bear, bear uh, use to read the scripture or scriptures from which they tried to tie in and make a trinity. And for that, okay. I have to read First John chapter 4, starting at verse 6. But the answer, but the point is in verse 7. First John chapter, I apologize, First John chapter 5, starting at verse 6. But the point is in verse 7. And this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is true. So now here is where they really, really rest the scriptures to construct the Trinity. Verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So basically from that particular scripture right there, you have this whole doctrine and, and I keep repeating that word, doctrine. You have this whole doctrine trying to explain the, the manifestation of the Lord God Almighty in three persons. But yet, there are no scriptures that really justify that doctrine as something that we should take hold of to and, 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 and apply the main doctrine that we're supposed to be applying is Christ already laid it down in Mark chapter 2. I'll read it just right quick. In Mark chapter 2 and 17. When Jesus heard it, he said, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that's the true doctrine that we all are supposed to be focusing on Repentance God manifesting himself in three persons Where, where is the scriptural justification 
excuse me, of that, really. Because when you really read the scriptures and understand the scriptures, everything is made clear and everything is made simple. So I also have to read this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. And it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So we're getting the grassroots right now. The Heavenly Father is not the creator of confusion, but peace. But yet, within this doctrine, man-made doctrine of the Trinity, in which things can't be explained, but scriptures are extracted from the Bible to try to justify it, it leads to more confusion and more misunderstanding. So that's something that we all have to keep in mind as we delve into the scriptures further about this particular subject matter called Trinity. I want to touch on, follow up with you, Kazakia, because you read that scripture in First John about the three that bear witness in all these three are one, correct? Yeah, right. Yep. Okay, so in a lot of times, those are some of the scriptures that people try to rest, meaning pervert, to try to support this Trinity doctrine. Let me read another. Mm-hmm. So we just mm-hmm. we just read in First John about uh, these three are one. Oh, there you go. You got the Trinity. Well, let's read about that. These being one. Okay. John chapter seventeen verse twenty one. I start at verse twenty. John seventeen twenty. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Meaning through the word that the, the apostles are going to be teaching. Verse 21, John 17, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So if you want to take that, first John scripture says these three bear record, they're one, meaning all of them are God. Christ is saying here that we are going to be one in the Father like he is. Does that mean we're God too? So, so now you got to explain that whole Trinity to a whole bunch of people. Now, is that the case? Is that what the scripture is saying? So that's more than that's more than three persons, ain't it? Exactly. So you, so you understand, just like that scripture wasn't referring to a Trinity, this scripture isn't either, because this scripture in John seventeen twenty one is talking about us being one with God and the Father, like Christ is one with the Father. But that ain't talking about establishing the Trinity or all of us are God as God is God. No. That's the problem. Okay? So so that's why we have to understand that this Trinity doctrine is not found in Scripture. Because when you go line upon line, precept upon precept, okay, Isaiah, I believe, 29 and 10, you'll see that none of that lines up. Because just like Christ is one in the Father. We're supposed to be one in Christ and in the Father, meaning of one mind, one doctrine. That's what it means. It's not that we're all God as God of God. That's not what it's talking about. But we are all on one accord. All on one accord. That's what it's actually talking about in the scripture. So I just want to clarify that point on that. And um, okay. I would like to add just a little bit more to that if I could, just right quick, Brother Josiah, if I could, please. 
Absolutely. Go, go ahead, bro. So now when we read John 14, let's read John 14 and 10. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The wor- wait, wait a minute. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. So here it is. This is the goal for us in repentance to be in Christ. And if we are in Christ, according to how it is outlined in the scriptures, then we are in the Father and the Father in us. So that being stated, that 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 wherein are the three persons? Wherein is this one, two, three different manifestation of the love of the Lord God Almighty? Wait a minute. There's a problem. And the problem is our people aren't not just our people, people period, are not picking up the book, the scriptures, and studying them line upon line, precept upon precept, like you alluded to, Brother Kabar. And not only that, they're not applying the teachings of Christ. Because if they were, through time and application and patience, then these things will become made known and manifest. And I also would like to read this scripture also. This scripture is Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Let's see what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that's going on with this Trinity doctrine. Our minds are being corrupted and we're being beguiled and we're being fooled from the simplicity, the plainness that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the plainness is we repent through Christ. When we repent through Christ and apply his teachings, we become one in Christ. And of course, endure until again. And when we become one in Christ, guess who we also become one with? The Heavenly Father. So where is this uh, where are these other things coming from? That's man-made doctrine, and that's our people through the subtility of Satan being seduced, being corrupted from the plainness and the simplicity that exists when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to you, brother. Okay, uh, brothers, um, I have heard uh, someone go about explaining uh, the Trinity. I, in fact, I've heard more than just one person, but one that kind of sticks out to me, and I want to uh, kind of throw it out there the best I remember it and see what your brothers uh, think about it. Um, it was explained that um, God is a being, okay? It's a certain type of being. You know, it's the primary being, the uh, everlasting being. And then you have humans who are also beings. So uh, each one of us are human beings, and God is a being. So, uh, but each one of us are separate persons. So in this program, for example, you have three separate persons, but we're all human beings. 
So as far as God is concerned, there are three persons in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But there's only one God. Like there's only one human race, only one type of human being. So what do you think about that rationale, brothers? Okay, so this is my other point that I want to touch on as far as this trinity is concerned because mm-hmm. it's a little technical in nature, but once you understand it, you it, it it's going to make it clear that uh, God and Christ, they're not the same thing, and Christ is not God as God is God. You understand? So mm-hmm. because there's a difference between them. So now I'm just going to begin to construct that for people. So here's a series of scriptures explaining the nature of God himself, the most high. Okay. Now I'm, a, I'm going to read them. I'm going to, te- I'm going to tell people the scriptures. Uh, well, I, I'll just go one by one. Uh, most of them are in Psalms. This is Psalms chapter 41, verse 13. I'm hearing the echo. Psalms, Psalms 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And, you know, when you read in the Old Testament, you see the capital letters L-O-R-D talking about the Most High. Blessed mm-hmm. be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. Okay. Psalms 90 and verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever thou hast formed the earth and the world from even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God Psalms 93 verse 2 thy throne is established of old talking about the most high we read in verse 1 the most high thy throne is established of old thou art from everlasting Psalms 103 verse 17 but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto the children's children. And the last one, Psalms 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord our God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let the people say, Amen, praise ye the Lord. Okay, now, understanding this from everlasting Two everlasting things. Uh, now, the word you, you can find actually find this word in scriptures is the word called eternal. A lot of times we hear it as eternal life. But the thing you have to understand about the unique thing about the word eternal, and this is a definition from dictionary.com, eternal, without beginning or end. That's the primary definition. Okay. Other ones are. Lasting forever, always existing, a perpetual, ceaseless, endless. Okay, so this is what you have to understand about the Most High. When it says from everlasting to everlasting, it means from forever in the past to forever in the future. All right? Or, or neither having beginning nor end. That's the primary difference of the Most High. We're going to receive ever, uh, eternal life. But that doesn't mean we always existed. We know that. It means from the point that the Most High, uh, uh, we, were, we, we become um, uh, new creatures, we're going to always exist going into the future. 
Now we haven't always existed, but from the from that from from a point going forward, we will always exist. Okay, so you understand mm-hmm. the difference. God is always from forever in the past to forever in the future, meaning He has neither beginning nor end. But it, that, it, and essentially, you have to understand God is not a creature at all. God is the Creator. Everything else is a creature, okay? Because creatures have a beginning. Primary thing you have to understand. So with God, he has neither beginning nor end. Everything else has at least a beginning. That's, that's primarily have to, how you have to understand eternal. Okay, we clear on that first part? You're right. I got that. Okay. Okay, now, let's start talking about Jesus Christ both what's written and what he says of himself. Okay. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, you just look up that what that word means when, you mean, when it says, and the Word was God. It just means that Christ came from the Most High. He was, like the scripture tell you in, um, East, not, is it Ephesians? It tells you that he is the, Image of the invisible God. Okay, that's what it means. But the primary thing, okay, I go to the next verse, John chapter 1, verse 2. It says, the same was in the beginning with God. So the primary thing you're looking at there is one word. And what's that word? The word beginning. That's what you have to understand. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, meaning he was the image of the, of, of the invisible God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God, speaking about Jesus Christ. And when you speak about Christ, you're speaking about a beginning. Okay. Now, let's see what Christ says about himself. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It says, and this is Christ speaking to all of the churches. Revelation three fourteen, And unto the church... Of the Laodiceans Right These things say the amen Meaning Christ is saying this is what I'm saying This is what I'm saying of myself These things say the amen The faithful and true witness The beginning Of the creation Of God You get that? Christ is telling mm-hmm. you he is, he is the beginning of the creation Of God Now that word, be, that word beginning, that Strong's G746, is the same word used in John chapter 1, verse 1. And that word means, in the Strong, the person or thing that commences, the first person or thing in a series, the leader. You understand? Mm-hmm. So so Christ, that's why when, when the scripture says Christ so, so is the firstborn of every... Go on. Go so ahead. what that's saying is that uh, Christ was the first that was created. Is that what it's saying? Exactly. Exactly. Just like it just told you in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, meaning Christ was the image of the invisible God. And then Christ tells you in himself in Revelation three fourteen that he is the beginning of the creations of God. Okay. And just like we read in the book of Genesis and God said, let us, he's talking to Christ. Let us make man in our image, so on and so forth. So the thing you have to understand is this whole beginning part, that Christ says he has a beginning. He was the first thing that God ever made, like it just told you in John 1 and 1. 
So, yes, Christ was created by the Father. He will always live. So in that aspect, I, would, I guess you would say in that uh, secondary aspect, he has eternal life. Like we will receive eternal life later on through Christ, meaning we have a starting point, but we will not have an end. But understand, God, the very nature of God is he doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have a starting point. That's why the Most High and Christ, Christ and the Most High isn't the same thing. You understand? Because the very nature of God is that he doesn't have a beginning, and Christ does like we do. It doesn't make Christ any less. It's just understanding that the first thing God ever made was Christ. Before sun, moon, and stars, the universe, man, angels, anything, he made Christ. So Christ has a beginning like Christ himself said. So that means Christ is not eternal, meaning he doesn't have, he, he didn't always exist. He will always exist from his creation, but he hasn't always existed like God. That's why this whole Trinity thing is a farce, is a, a lie, because he, Christ is not God as God is God, right? Because God is eternal, meaning he doesn't have a beginning, and Christ does like Christ tells you in the scriptures, and we all have beginnings. That's why we are not God as God is God. Okay, so it's a little technical, but that's what it is, because that's what the scripture says. It's the whole point about God who doesn't have a beginning and everything else that does have a beginning. That's why Christ said in, his, in himself, if you didn't get the beginning part, he says the beginning of the creation of God. If you are a creature, you have a creator. And if you are, have a creator, then that means you was made and you have to have a beginning. So... Just understand that part, and you will understand that it's impossible for there to be a trinity because God and Christ isn't the same thing. Yes, Christ has an exalted position. He's the first of, of, of all creatures. He has a preeminence, but only God is God, okay? And we can go to other scriptures like Christ says in, in, in John, I go into my God and your God and your father, my father, so on and so forth. But just understand that point, and you will know, there cannot be a Trinity doctrine. That was it on that point. Okay. So, um, brothers, uh, there, there's uh, the premise of the uh, Holy Trinity is that it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And your brothers have spoken about the Father and the Son, but what about the Holy Spirit in all this? Uh, what scriptures will bring out uh, that the Holy Spirit is not God? Okay, first and foremost, let's let's get it all in the context. When we read, when we go back and read First John five, and I'm gonna read the scripture again. For there are three that bear record in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Now dealing with the Father, what first and foremost, what are they bearing record to? You have to go back a few verses to see. Verse five: Who is he that overcometh the world, but he? That believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So, the three that bear record, what are they bearing record to? The fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, when it says the Father in verse 7, but there are three that bear record in heaven the Father. When we read Matthew chapter 17, right? 5 and 6, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to start at verse 5, but the point is in verse 6. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That was not Christ speaking. That was the Lord God Almighty speaking from everlasting to everlasting. He was the one that's speaking. And what he's do what is he doing? He is bearing witness that this person that's on this earth, that's walking among you, that's doing miracles, and that's teaching, he is my son. The most high bearing record, most high bearing witness that Jesus Christ is his son. Now, the word Kabar already touched on it. And John 1 and 1 Allow me to get there just right quick This is the book of John Chapter 1 And verse 1 In the beginning was the word And the word was with God And the word was God The same was in the beginning with God In other words Christ was with the heavenly father They are of the same Accord And they agree That's what that means there is no division between Christ and the Lord God Almighty. What the Lord God Almighty issues forth, Christ executes it. Now, the word in John 8 and 10, excuse me, John chapter 1, starting at verse 8. <clears throat> he was in the, he was, no, I apologize. Starting at verse 8. He was not that light. That was sent to bear witness of that light <clears throat> That was the true light Which lighteth every man That cometh into the world <laughs> He was in the world And the world was made by him And the world knew him not This is that word Bear witness that This person Now the word itself This person that's walking among you This is the son of God Sent to walk among you to teach you. This is the word bearing witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So you had the Father himself in Matthew 17 and verse 5. Then you got and 6, excuse me, then you got the word. John 1 verses 8 through 10. And now <clears throat> I'll read verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Verse 12. But as me as received him, that word, which was Christ, okay, to them gave he power to become sons of God, just like Christ is a son, the son, the firstborn creation of the Lord God Almighty himself, even to them that believe on his name. So there it is. You've got two, and now three. When you read back in John, chapter the first time, excuse me, chapter 5, and it is, excuse me, this is he that came by walk, excuse me, I apologize. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> and these three are one. All it means is that they agree. They're testifying of the same thing, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, the Holy Ghost or that Holy Spirit, those words are used, or those titles are used interchangeably. But what is that? That's that spirit of the Heavenly Father in the Word, in the Word, in the Scriptures. Let's get an example of that. John chapter 5, 
Going back to Gospel John, that is, chapter 5, and I'm going to read verse 39. What does it say? Because it's quite simple, but what our people have a tendency to do is they allow man to guide them with their doctrine about the Heavenly Father instead of reading and studying the word of the Heavenly Father for themselves. So John chapter 5 and verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So the scriptures testify of Christ. All throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. When you read the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 18, 18, the prophet that's going to come from amongst your brethren. Guess what? Christ is that prophet. All the scriptures, all the prophecies <coughs> of the Lord Jesus Christ are testifying of Jesus Christ and telling us that this prophet that's coming is the Son of God himself. Also, John chapter 6 and verse 63. Now we're dealing with that spirit part that you were asking about. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that... I, hold on. Let me read it again just in case. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. What Christ... The words that Christ was speaking to us were the commandments, repentance. How do we become back in line with the Lord God Almighty, which is through him, through Christ, through following his example and applying his words. Those same words that Christ taught was, were not his words. Those words came from the Lord God Almighty, that spirit. So in other words, the spirit of God is in the word, the words, not just uh, the words that Jesus Christ taught. But guess what? When you look at all the prophets, what were they speaking? They were speaking the word of the Heavenly Father. And we, if we were repenting and following and applying that, we were receiving and partaking of that word or of that spirit of the Heavenly Father. Even in these days and times, it's still the same concept So those are the three That bear witness How do you get from the father bearing witness Of Jesus Christ Christ bearing witness and letting people know I am the one And the spirit or the words of the Lord God almighty Showing us that this person That was prophesied of From the very beginning or is Jesus Is Jesus Christ the son of God How do you get that to God manifest in three persons, I do not know. And finally, I'm going to jump down. Let me read verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Just like the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost agree in one They are not speaking anything Contrary one to the other They are all speaking The same thing They agree This is not God manifesting three persons This is The agreement Of what everything in the scriptures The things that the Heavenly Father spoke 
And the things that Christ taught all agree. They're of the same accord. It has nothing to do with God manifesting himself in three different entities and three different personas. That's the confusion. Back to y'all, brothers. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Zach. Uh, Kabar, do you have anything you want to add to that? Because I, I got another question here. Nope. Okay. So uh, there's a scripture in Matthew 1 and 23. It reads, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his, man, his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So what this, this, this was, this is an account of a prophet that was uh, – uh, seeing that, you know, um, uh, we speaking in terms of Jesus Christ being born. And they're saying his name is Emmanuel, which is God with us. So, in other words, calling Jesus God, right? <laughs> no. No. Um, so explain that one then. No. All right. Will you, will you, when you look at, at the scriptures, the scriptures tell us that. Okay, let me let me get let me get that. <clears throat> so so, throughout Christ's entire ministry, you know he keeps saying, you know, believe me. And if not, you know the words, then the works' sake, meaning the miracles that he was doing, and that when. When you look in the scripture, he tell you that he came not to do his own will, but the will of his father. So you have to understand everything that Christ did, said, it was all from the Most High about what he wanted his son to do. So, mm-hmm. so let me let me let me get this one scripture, Zach. If you have anything, you can you can pull it. But I, I, I'm looking for this one scripture. Is that? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um, I had muted myself so that uh, you could get good trans, uh, uh, transmission. But I was listening to what was uh, what was being asked, and behold, a virgin shall behold a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Okay. All we have to do to really understand is in the first, going back to uh, John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ was with the Lord God Almighty, and Christ and the Most High, or God Almighty, are of the same mind. There is no division between the two. So, the I'm looking for that scripture where it says the word was made manifest and the word was made flesh. And uh, I'm looking for that scripture. It's one of those scriptures that's really obscure or hard to find. But the overall John John was reading, John what it says. Yeah, it's where, you were, it's where you were, bro. John 1 and 1, I believe. Later, you know, further on down. But right. All things. As you look for that, let me, let me, let me pull this one in Colossians because you talk about. Um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You're talking about Emmanuel, right? So this Christ being Emmanuel, meaning Emmanuel, meaning God with us. 
And that's exactly true. Go read throughout the gospel. Christ said he came not to 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 speak his own words but the word of the most high. He came not to do his own will, but the will of the most high. And that's all he did. That was Christ being with us. But also Christ himself, remember, in the word was God, to understand what that what that's actually talking about. Or what Emmanuel is actually talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh first uh Colossians one fifteen. Now, the book of Colossians, the first chapter, is dealing with the preeminence of Christ, okay, as you read through. Um, uh, Colossians 1 and 12, I'll start there. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, meaning Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Listen, verse 15, who is, meaning the Son, Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Does that not line up with Revelation 3.14 that we just read, when Christ said he is the beginning of the creation of God? And then we see mm-hmm. the exact same thing, the exact same thing in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, meaning, uh, and he, who was God, so it's talking about Christ is the exact image of the invisible God, meaning that's why he said to, was it uh, Thomas, have I been so long with you? If you have seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. Back to Colossians 1.15. Who is Christ? The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, understand about this image thing. It's not talking about he looks like God. No. An image meaning he bears the exact identical characteristics of the Most High, meaning the fruits of the Spirit, the uh, the understanding, everything that the Most High is made up of, you see that in, represented through Christ. That's why he is the image. He is the one sent to represent the Heavenly Father, the invisible God. Okay? So that's why when you talk about amen, God with us, that's what it means. That's what it's talking about. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, or like the scripture says in Revelation, the, the beginning of the creations of God. So if you see Christ and whatever he's doing and saying, that's what the Most High wants. That's the Most High expressed will to man. That's, what it, that's why it says God with us. He is the very representative of, from God, he is the image of the invisible God. What he is saying, what he is doing, is what God wants us to say and do. Is that does that clarify oh, the question? Oh yeah, yeah, that that helps quite a bit. Uh, I wanted to go back just right quick. Yes, sir. I want to go back just right quick because you were asking about the Emmanuel, which is God with us, and I found the scripture is John one and fourteen, and the word which was Christ was made flesh, the same Christ that was with God and was God, meaning everything, as the brother Kabbalah already explained, everything that the Most High wanted done on this earth, Christ was the direct manifestation of the will of God on earth. And the word, I'm back in John 1 and 14, and the word was made flesh, came as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And dwelt among us 
and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So here it is right here. No, more, further proof of the word bearing witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that we read in 1 John 5. I'll read it again. And the word, here again, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made flesh, came on the earth as a man, and dwelt among us. He lived among us. Christ lived among, among us, preaching, teaching the people, healing people, expounding upon the kingdom of heaven, teaching repentance, being that example. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of the Father, excuse me, full of grace and truth. So that's what it means when it says, when it refers to his name, Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. It's here, right here, the explanation of that in John chapter 1 and verse 14. Okay. So, so follow uh, up on, follow, I, I just want to follow up on that because uh-huh. it says about Christ that as of the only begotten of the Father, and, you know, just, I know it's a little technical, but just understanding the succession of things, meaning at one point in time, God, who is eternal, meaning having neither beginning nor end, there was nothing else, not a universe, not sun and moon and stars, not angels, not uh, a human beings, nothing, not Christ. Then he made Christ, right? He was in the beginning. And then what happened after he made Christ, then what did he do? So now going back to Colossians 1.15, I'm going to add verse 16 also. Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, Emmanuel, God with us, the firstborn of every creature, verse 16 now, for by him, meaning Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, meaning Christ, and for him, meaning Christ. So just understand, that's why he's the only begotten. Yes, we're begotten of the Father, but through Christ. Christ himself is begotten directly from the Father. So, you know, I, I know it's a little bit technical, but just to understand how things are laying out. Okay? That was it. Okay, so that, that question about Emmanuel, uh, Zach was reading that scripture in uh, John 1 and 14. If you go down a few mm-hmm. verses uh, beyond that to John 1 and 18, uh, could you kind of expound on that and see if that might bring, bring a little bit more clarification to that whole thing about Emmanuel? Verse 18, no man have seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, have declared him. And this is the record of John. Okay, okay, so now this is in verse 18. No man have seen God at any time, which is true. No man have seen God. The closest person to have seen the Most High was Moses. And the scriptures tell you that Moses saw his backward parts. So no man has seen God except for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So there it is, basically stating the same thing. The only begotten Son, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Christ 
is the only person that's seen God, straight up. And what the scriptures are telling us here, that the only begotten, which is Christ, God declared him. In other words, the heavenly father is declaring this is the person who you should look to to follow. This is the person who is the express manifestation of my will and my glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, when you're reading the scriptures in the wilderness, when our people were dealing with Moses and the Heavenly Father was speaking, Moses was that mediator, and uh, the people were saying, no, 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 you speak to us, Moses. Uh, if the Lord speaks to us again, we'll die. Moses was serving in that mediator capacity. Christ, being the mediator of a new and perfect covenant, uh, more perfect covenant, is also serving in a greater capacity. Because not only is he the mediator, he's also that faithful high priest, which the scriptures talk about the book of Hebrews. So now when we read in verse 18, it's basically telling us that no one, no man has seen God but the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, God declared him as the person whom we should look to to repent, whom, should we, whom we should look to as the, the mediator, whom we should look to as understanding what the will of the Lord God Almighty is. Okay. All right, brothers. Um, I've got just a little bit more time left, but uh, what it sounds like you're bringing out here is that um, the Father is the Father, and Jesus Christ is the Son, and Jesus Christ was with the Father from the, from the beginning of creation because he was the first that was created. And, mm-hmm. and that same Jesus Christ that was the first that was created uh, was in heaven, and he was made a flesh and blood man and came here to the earth, and he was not God because no man has seen God, and we saw and men saw Jesus Christ. So uh, there's there's a distinct difference there. And then as far as the uh, Holy Spirit is concerned, the Holy Spirit is the the Spirit is the Word of God, which is a separate and distinct thing, which is not God. So uh, I think is, does that kind of summarize it? That summarizes mm-hmm. it. Yep. Okay. All right, brothers, you got anything else you want to bring to the table before we go? I just want to read uh, Acts 17 and 11. This is what Paul said of the brothers in Thessalonica, uh, excuse me, of Berea. He said, these are more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that, that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's what we have to do, search the scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept, so that we know the things that we receive are actually coming out of the scriptures from the Most High through Christ and not from man. Okay. All praises. All right, brothers. Well, thank you so much for being here with us in the virtual living room. And um, all thanks and all praise goes out to the Most High God in the name of his son, Christ. So until next time, I say shalom. Shalom. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at ureach.com or call us at 
871-1712. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom. Thank you.